the very first official episode of Authentically Happy, the podcast where we delve into the various facets of human psychology and well-being. I'm your host, Michelle Savoie, certified life coach with a master's degree in applied positive psychology. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of happiness. To understand happiness, we must first recognize its importance throughout human history. From the ancient Greek philosophers to Eastern philosophies like Buddhism and Confucianism, and even within the United States Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness has been a common thread that has woven its way through cultures and generations. These wise minds contemplated the nature of happiness and its role in leading a meaningful life. For many ancient thinkers, happiness was synonymous with living virtuously and aligning one's actions with a greater purpose. These philosophers believed that happiness went beyond just momentary pleasures. Three of the most popular philosophers of ancient Greece were Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. For those of you who are unfamiliar with these three great thinkers, here are a few fun facts. Socrates is credited as a founder of Western philosophy, mostly known for the Socratic method, which is a type of inquiry and discussion that revolves around asking and answering questions in order to learn through the use of reasoning and logic. Plato, who was a student of Socrates, is best known for founding the Academy of Athens which is the first institution of higher learning in the Western world. Then we have Aristotle, who is a student of Plato. Aristotle is best known for his work on ethics, in which he examines how human flourishing is the best life for human beings to live. In terms of happiness, Socrates believed that happiness could be achieved through self-knowledge. Knowing yourself and examining your universal soul was true wisdom which would lead to true happiness. Within this, Socrates believed that you could not take sensory experiences or emotional experiences as truth, since sensory experience and emotions are constantly changing. Your emotional reaction to something could change drastically depending on how you feel in that moment. For example, maybe you just broke up with your ex and you see them at the mall with someone else. Well, you were already feeling down and sad, and seeing them together makes you feel even worse. Maybe you feel the emotions of anger, sadness. Maybe you feel hurt and you start crying. And then you believe that you're having this emotional reaction because they were your soulmate, and that's why it's hurting you so much to see them with someone else. But now picture scenario two. You broke up with the same person, but now it's five years later. You've dated other people. Maybe you're even married to someone else at this point. And you go to the same mall. You see that same ex with that same person, but now seeing them doesn't really bother you at all. Maybe you even feel happy for this person, happy that they also moved on too. In both scenarios, it was the same ex at the same mall with the same other person. But your emotional response is different, depending on how you were feeling at the time that you saw them. And this is why Socrates says that you can't take emotional experiences as truth, because you can have a totally different emotion based on the state of mind that you're in. 
it has nothing to do with the actual event or situation. And the same can be said about sensory experiences. If you've ever seen an optical illusion, you know exactly what we're talking about. You know you can't always take what you think you're seeing as truth because it might just depend on the angle at which you're standing. And Plato, following his teacher Socrates' thought process, also believed in looking beyond sensory experiences to find a more meaningful life. Both Plato and Socrates believed that true wisdom is found in timeless and unchanging truths, and that true wisdom leads to the good life. Aristotle, the student of Plato, as I previously mentioned, examined how human flourishing is the best life for human beings to live. Aristotle believed in finding the golden mean, the balance in life, which he believed would lead to eudaimonia, which is the state of flourishing. The golden mean that he refers to is the idea of finding balance between the extremes. This is something we will discuss more later as we discuss how living a happy life does not mean that you need to remove all negative events or negative emotions. An authentically happy life consists of a healthy balance in all things in life. So the happiness that Aristotle refers to is not just a life of constant positive emotions, but rather a virtuous life of meaning and balance. Part of this includes character. Now, character, whether good or bad, is established by what Aristotle calls habituation, the repetition of actions. If you make it a point to say thank you every time someone opens a door for you, that gratitude becomes a part of your character, something we would call a character strength. And we'll talk more about character strength in a later episode. But you might have heard the phrase, we become what we repeatedly do, or we are what we repeatedly do. So a big part of this podcast is going to be focused on building positive habits and repeatedly engaging in positive actions that help you to lead a more virtuous, meaningful, and happier life. We will be referring back to these thought leaders as we progress through the podcast, especially Aristotle and the principle of eudaimonia, because that is truly at the basis of living authentically happy. Now, as society started to evolve, so did the ways in which happiness was pursued. During the Renaissance, artists, writers, and thinkers began to explore the human experience on a deeper level, often intertwining joy, love, and personal growth into their works. This era marked a shift towards a more individualistic approach to happiness. Fast forward to the Enlightenment period, and we see a surge in philosophical writings on happiness as a fundamental human right. Thinkers like John Locke and Thomas Jefferson championed the idea that the pursuit of happiness was not just a desire, but a fundamental aspect of human nature. In the modern era, the concept of happiness took on a new dimension. The advent of psychology and the emergence of positive psychology in the 20th century marked a significant turning point. Psychologists like Abraham Maslow and Carl Rogers shifted the focus from diagnosing disorders to understanding human strengths and potentials. So instead of just trying to eliminate negative experiences, they focused on building positive experiences. One of the most important findings was that simply removing negative experiences and negative emotions 
did not necessarily equal a happy life. Someone who goes through life only experiencing rainbows and butterflies would not necessarily be happier than someone who has experienced heartbreak, financial hardships, and other traumas. If you think of happiness as a scale that goes from negative 10, being completely unhappy, to a positive 10, the happiest you could possibly be, you would find that right in the middle you have zero or neutral. If someone had life events that pushed them into the negative part of the scale, if we could somehow magically remove all of those negative experiences, the best that that could possibly do is just move them to zero or neutral. It wouldn't necessarily push them all the way up to a positive 10. In order to start moving up the scale on the positive side, we have to experience positives in our life, at least enough positives that outweigh the negatives. So I'm not saying you have to win the lottery here. Every positive experience that you have, whether big or small, will lead to you climbing higher towards the positive side of the scale. For example, someone holding a door open for you or having a nice chat on the phone with an old friend, maybe laughing at a meme or doing something kind for someone else or doing something that you love. All these positive experiences, no matter how big or how small, contribute towards your positive 10. With the founding of positive psychology in the 1990s, the pursuit of happiness wasn't just a philosophical endeavor anymore. It was quickly becoming a subject of scientific inquiry. Positive psychology, spearheaded by researchers like Martin Seligman and Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, focused on identifying the factors that contribute to human flourishing and well-being. The study of positive psychology focuses on human strengths and well-being rather than mental illness. As you can see, happiness has journeyed through time, leaving its mark on every era, culture, and intellectual movement. It is woven into our histories, religions, philosophies, and even our founding documents. But as we move forward in this podcast, let's remember that while the historical context shapes our understanding of happiness, the true essence of happiness is as personal as it is universal. So as we continue on, I encourage you to try different tools and approaches and take note to what sparks the joy inside of you. Keep an open mind with each week's topic and try new things because some of them may surprise you. And then you can keep a personalized list of what works best for you. But this week, I challenge you to reflect on what makes you happy. Try to make a list of all the things that make you happy. And then try to make a list of all the things that, if you knew you had them in your life, then you would be happier. Next week, we're going to talk about what really contributes to human happiness. Feel free to leave a comment to let me know what it is that makes you happy and what it is that you need in order to be happy. Have a wonderful week, and I'll see you on the next episode.